Hello, and welcome to the Astrology Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana, and I'm really excited because today Meg Elison is here. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know that. A lot of people mispronounce my last name, and unfortunately, it's the same name as like a billionaire, so it's really easy to get me confused with her until one of us picks up the check for dinner. That's amazing. <laughs> Maybe one day the two of you can morph and then both be billionaires. If I ever meet her, we have to fight or we have to make out one or the other. Right? And just yes. like dethrone one once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so um, Meg is an amazing author and she writes so many amazing, I think mostly fictional pieces, right? I know I've read a couple of your nonfiction articles, but I don't think you, have you written a nonfiction book? I have one book of nonfiction, uh, but I primarily write fiction. So I'm the right. author of the Road to Nowhere series, which is a science fiction post-apocalyptic adventure uh, in three books that is very focused on the issue of gender and the apocalypse. I'm really proud of those books. And the first one won the Philip K. Dick Award when it was released. And the second one was nominated, but I lost to Carrie Vaughn, who is also a great author. After The Road to Nowhere came out, I published my first YA novel, which is called Find Layla from Skyscape last year, as well as my first collection, which is called Big Girl from PM Press, also last year. Terrible year to have two books out, let me tell you. <laughs> and I have uh, lots more work forthcoming, so uh, there's going to be links in the description of the podcast, but you can always check me out at megelison.com or at megelison on just about any platform if you're interested in reading more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'll make sure that all of those are in the description in case anybody wants to read your books. And I mean, honestly, if you enjoy um, dystopian fiction or, you know, honestly, if you if you read, if you can read, buy Meg's books. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good pitch. <laughs> Definitely. I'm a fan. Um, OK, so I thought it would be fun since you are a writer and I greatly admire you. Um, I thought it would be cool to look for indicators since you've sent me your chart of possibly indicators of being a writer or being in the witchcraft, you know, kind of like mystical, I don't know, community, totally. I guess. Yeah. Because those, there definitely are indicators of that in people's charts. I'm so excited to learn. <laughs> I'm really excited. Um, okay. So I'm not going to give away everything and like read your whole chart, but from the bat, the first indicator that you have for at least being on a public platform, mm -hmm. like being a public figure, is that your ascendant's in Leo. And yeah. Leo shine. Like, that's <laughs> just what they do. Like, it's ruled by the sun. Like, that is just something that will happen with anyone who has ascendant in Leo. A lot of really famous people have Leo ascendants. Um, or they've got, like, Leo moons, and they've got it in, like, the 10th house or something, which rules career. So That makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. love attention. So that that's <laughs> <Hey. laughs> and uh, you know, people give Leo a bad rap for being like kind of an attention whore, which I guess is like one of the lower vibration things. But Leos mm -hmm. are really just good at being who they are and like not being like shameless about, you know, being themselves and shining for what their gifts are. And and also Leo rules creative expression. Yes. So yeah, I, I can definitely see that about you because you are so creative and to so talented. People, if you're a fan of Meg's and you just know her writing, then let me tell you, she also has a really beautiful singing voice. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet it's, of you. It's so lovely. 
I always think about that when I think of you. I'm like Meg and her beautiful singing voice. Oh gosh, I'm dying. I love it. Um, okay, so you've also got, let's see, Libra in the third house of communication and Jupiter in the third house of communication and also Pluto. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so just let's just dissect that. That's a lot. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> So Jupiter in Libra in the third house. So Jupiter, uh, it talks about expansion, but specifically expanding in terms of your material wealth and your good luck and the blessings that you're just sort of born with. I actually just did a Jupiter signs episode. Um, oh. And so if you want to curious to learn more about like what Jupiter and Libra is like, and it's sort of like how you should be acting if you want to be lucky and <laughs> you have it in the third house of communication. Mm-hmm. So just right off the bat, like you are a writer you communicate all the time. That is a thing. Um, and Jupiter in Libra, it, it talks about being very charming and amenable and creating harmony for people and also being very beautiful, like the aesthetics, the balance, you know? And I see that, like you as a beautiful person in the spaces that you're in, just being like, I mean, even as an author, like I see your like fashion posts and your reels. And I'm like, this is such a Jupiter and Libra thing. I'm super into fashion. I'm extremely vain. And uh, that's, that's unusual for authors. You know, a lot of authors really wish they could hide out and not be looked at and just send out books. And I'm the opposite. I want to plan outfits for a convention and I love being seen. <laughs> I love that. And you know, also you're a Taurus. So like, of course, aesthetic would be a thing. Totally. Um, and also, you know, funny enough, Jupiter can, Jupiter and Venus to a certain extent can indicate someone's style and someone's personal aesthetic. Uh, so you might really be interested in like, you know, making things pleasing to the eye and having a mm-hmm. certain balance to them. Also, one thing that I think Libra is not really, I don't know why people don't talk about this as much, but Libra is very uh, fair-minded and legal and justice-oriented. So you being kind of like one of those authors that's, you know, I don't want to say you're a social justice warrior, but you no, but you definitely I, talk about those things. Yeah, I think I think writing has its own form of activism to it all the time, even when you don't think about it that way. Like all art is political, and I think yeah. of my art as very political, and I am very concerned with what is just when I'm working. So that makes sense. Yeah, and even, uh, you know, um, your books have a certain, like, they feel like that kind of, like, you know, justice-oriented dystopian, like, concerned with the marginalized people, with, uh, you know, inequities in society. Like, that's definitely something that comes across, even in just, like, the articles you write online, to be honest with you. So I see that. Um, And also expanding on that, uh, being justice-minded, you also have Pluto in your third house. Pluto is about power, but it's about death and taxes and the (laughs) occult and secrets um, and things people don't generally want to talk about, things that are considered taboo. Mm. You totally do those things in your writing. It's true. I write a lot about sex. I write a lot about death. I write a lot about the darkest impulses we have. So I can, I can party with the underworld. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, uh, you know, uh, the eighth house is technically the house of power, like where we got our power from, but specifically because you have Pluto in the third house, this is also a source of power for you in communication. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's sort of emphasizing and underscoring Jupiter and Libra, which makes you a very lucky person when it comes to talking about taboo subjects and being involved in occult communities. So it's just amazing. It's crazy that that's there, <laughs> you know? 
That's kind of great. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty incredible. Um, okay, so you also have Mercury in your 10th house. So 10th house or midheaven is your career, typically. It it rules career. It doesn't mm-hmm. always talk specifically about what people are doing for work, but a lot of the times it really does. It talks about like what people are good at. And also you have your son in the 10th house as well. You've got, oh no, your son's in the ninth house, sorry, but you have your midheaven on Taurus. So it's like right there. So it's straddling the ninth and 10th. And houses, um, people tend to not realize that houses bleed into each other. Sure. Yeah, so, they must overlap, right? Uh, they do. And it, I mean, a lot of people will do like astrologers will do something called whole sign or equal sign houses, which equal sign will make your houses equal, even if they're not. Oh. And whole sign will put them into one whole sign, even if they're straddling a sign or they're on the line or, you know, they're barely in one and maybe in the other. So, I mean, we don't think about them bleeding into each other, but they really do. Mm-hmm. So you having uh, your Taurus on your midheaven and also being basically in the ninth slash 10th house. Um, and then also having Mercury on your midheaven. So Mercury rules communication and writing and just generally being the messenger. So of course, I mean, that makes perfect sense for you. And also having Taurus there and Taurus being your sun sign, you shine in your career. I've heard the 10th house referred to as the house of ambition. So that, that checks out. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Highly ambitious. And, and I, I tend to put all of my focus toward making my career happen. Like people always ask me about hobbies and I'm like, I don't really have hobbies. Like I just like to work. <laughs> you know, it's funny because Taurus will be totally at home in the 10th house, which is natively ruled by Capricorn. That's why it's called the house of ambition and mm. discipline and willpower, you know, um, even to some extent, self-restraint. It's like the area we have to work in. Everybody thinks Torians are lazy and decadent, but the truth is if there's something we want, there's nothing you can do to stop us from getting to it. Absolutely. Uh, as a fellow Taurus, I can you know. can confirm yes. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I, I never really understood the lazy Torian stereotype like I get it because we do love physical pleasures yeah but not at the expense of things we want ever no yeah we stay ambitious we're just really sensual while we're getting there it might look like laziness we just know how to enjoy ourselves yeah I think Taurus is sort of like the one of the signs of working smart right instead of always working hard right like Like, we understand the value yeah you don't want to bust ass all the time you want to bust ass when it matters and you know kick back and eat whipped cream the rest of the time Right. And like enjoy life, right? Like I'm not going to work until I'm dead for no <laughs> point. <laughs> you have seen through the game. Yes. Yeah. I want to play the game. <laughs> for real. For real. All right. Let me see what else you got going on here. So you've also got, so your son is in the ninth straddling the 10th. Uh, so ninth house actually rules travel and higher learning and expansion Mm. um and this mean i mean this could indicate like you possibly moving country or moving state or like just moving around a lot or just being a traveler you do travel for your book so it kind of makes sense i travel for work and i've also i've moved around my whole life i've lived in i think 15 or 16 states in the u.s i've lived in several countries i've never really the bay area is the longest place i've lived anywhere because I have not really settled in my life. So that also checks out. Yeah, totally. Uh, And you've got your moon in Aquarius, 
or sorry, Aquarius, Sagittarius, <laughs> and it's in the fourth house of home. So mm. being, meaning that you don't, not to say you don't have a physical home, but your home is your emotional security. So you, you garner your, your, you nurture your emotions by traveling mm. and having it in the fourth house of home means that like all of your sense of home is within, like it's not a place. Yeah. It's never been a place. It's really just a feeling and it's something that I take with me. So, I <coughs> Oh God. And I know that I won't necessarily, it won't necessarily be a place that I return to, but it'll be something that I have to create newly every time I always start over. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely reinforced here. Um, you know, you've also got your so Lilith here. So I was here. curious about that. What does that mean? So, okay, this is like a very dubious astrology thing that people kind of argue about. It's kind of like cusps. People are like, mm, does that exist? Is that meaning this or does it mean this? There's all kinds of different measurements for Lilith. There's like a, a black moon Lilith and like a true Lilith. It's kind okay. of, like I said, dubious. But Black Moon Lilith, uh, traditionally, for like what people will sort of agree on if they even believe in Black Moon Lilith, is it's the dark side of the huh. moon, so it's like your shadow. So it's that thing you don't want to really deal with, or I, or not identify with, but uh, acknowledge about yourself. And so you've got this in the fourth house in your moon, so you know maybe it's the the need to like not want to be tied down, the need for freedom to an extreme. I had that chart read whatever. years ago, and it was by someone who told me that Lilith in the fourth house manifests with an unloving mother and like abandonment in childhood, which the only reason it stands out is because it affected me in a very emotional way because I I was abandoned by my mother, <laughs> like I didn't. Jesus. Right, like, out of nowhere, it was, it was you know, you know, every once in a while in a reading or in a, a discussion, somebody says something eerily precise that is too personal. Like it's not something I talk about very much. Yeah. So it is, you know, it's weird to think that the stars that you're born under have any bearing on how your life will go. Like my mother would have been who she was no matter when I was born, and she had other children who probably don't have Lilith in their fourth house who she also abandoned. But here we are. In my case, it happens to be true. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there are other like sure. indicators of stuff like that. But really, I mean, where where this astrologer is getting that from is the moon can indicate your mother and it can indicate um, what mm -hmm. your infancy was like. So, you know, having Lilith there is like a darkness over infancy, a darkness over your mother, a darkness over childhood. And the Sagittarius is like fleeting, right? Yeah, I moved, like out, freedom when I was, I moved out of my so. parents' house when I was 14. So all that yeah all that is in Jeez. line with the life i have experienced yeah that is a lot it's been an adventure you know wow totally um yeah i mean i can definitely see that you know and you've also <laughs> ironically um i didn't realize this but you've also got jupiter not jupiter you've also got scorpio in the third house so it's just underlining that mm. pluto plutonian vibes of talking about the occult and having like a sense of power from uh communication from discussing these topics from being mm -hmm. a part of the occult community and you know discussing things generally that people don't want to talk about let me see what else we've got here we've also got sagittarius in the fifth house so the fifth house rules creative expression um 
and you've got Neptune there. So Neptune is Sagittarius, man. That's going to make you very mm-hmm. creative, like you're freedom loving. Neptune, it rules imagination and creativity to a certain extent and musical talent. So it makes sense that you would have a beautiful voice, especially because you're a That's true. We Taurus. all sing. It's the weirdest thing the Taurus can sing. Yeah. It's so true. They can all sing or like play a musical we're all drawn to do it. something. Like we all, not everybody has musical talent, but we're all drawn to it because we ache for that kind of beauty. So uh, it's interesting that that combination mm-hmm. of planets in that position is common with artists. And, you know, you see a lot of birthdays grouped around other birthdays with very famous people or with very creative people. So that's, that is fascinating to find out. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, um, I was going to say just building on that Taurus thing where it's like we all tend to be singers or love to sing or love music. I also think uh, on top of it being like a need for beauty or expression, because uh, Taurus is actually another, you know, it's ruled by Venus, which Mm -hmm. rules creative expression as well. But like in the getting Um, laid kind of way, you know, (laughs) self-expression. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but also, I think, too, because Taurus rules the throat. And oh, right. And so, those medieval you know, charts that explain each part of the body and what sign rules it, Taurus is the neck and throat. Yes. Right. And yeah, so, you know, the reason for that is because back in the day, people would study astrology, astronomy, mm-hmm. and science, and alchemy were all kind of like jumbled into the same kind of right group of subjects right like it was considered a science and so it would make sense that you'd think like oh well of course the planets affect the body or whatever and having Taurus you know I I like to think and this is just maybe from my own personal experience and like other Taurus people I know uh, Taurus has an archetype of the silent one even though we rule the throat and it's not that we're quiet but yeah I would say that we're really not but I have noticed that a lot of Taurus people are very like, they can be quiet and observant in certain yes. situations. And a lot of like their existence, I feel, depending on mm-hmm. what other signs are there, can be tied up in figuring out how to find their own authentic voice. I think that's true. I think that we search for our voice in that way. And I've also found that the archetype of the bull for me has always been really telling because when a Taurus knows what they want, like it's full charge, can't be stopped. Like it's not quiet and it's not subtle and you know exactly what they're moving toward. However, we will silently paw the earth for a long time before that happens. Like there's bull at rest and then there's bull in motion. And when it's bull at rest, we really can, we can pull off silence. We also can, yeah. we can also hold a grudge. Absolutely. Like if the Taurus is done talking to you, they will just block your number and that'll be it. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. You know, it's funny. You have a lot of, um, you have a lot of mm. fire in your chart. I mean, you have like a pretty balanced chart, generally speaking, but, but you do have like a lot of fire in your main placements, like Leo and Sag mm. are both fire placements. And then you've got like Venus and Aries, this pretty fiery person. You also have Mercury in Gemini, which is another telling thing. Mercury is landing also, again, like I said, in your 10th house. Um, And so having Mercury in Gemini, I mean, it just makes you a great speaker, a great communicator. It's another naturally ruled by Mercury. I've never really been afraid of public speaking. And I know a lot of people, even other writers, really struggle with it. 
So that's a, that's a gift and I'm glad yeah. to have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you've got it naturally here. And also too, um, it's sort of straddling the 11th house, which uh, rules, it rules friends, but it also rules like hopes, wishes, dreams. So it can mean that you have like a lot of friends that you have like the gift of charming all your friends, like you may be uh, very well liked for your knowledge on a, a great number of topics, because Gemini tends to be like having mm. its fingers in all the pies and you know having that interest in a lot of intellectual topics it wants to be able to like speak with people uh you know on on and anything and have that conversation and that's a sense of power and charm that yeah. Ge gemini can have and having it in the house of friends you're really like charming <laughs> the shit out of people and like could be even playing it into is, like your social really network useful, a yeah. little bit I'm, I'm good at, i'm good at networking naturally <laughs> like i get people talking about themselves and that works almost everywhere you go i'm also good at I make friends everywhere. Totally. Like I had my, one of my books was translated into Polish this year and I was really upset that I couldn't go because I would love to have been there for my first like big foreign uh, edition. And the, I did some interviews with Polish people in the press and we got to talking and they were like, listen, eventually you'll be in Warsaw. Like, here's my phone number. Let's get drinks. Like I already have friends in a place that I've never been. It's really cool. I That's really want to go. Yeah, and honestly, like all of the the placements you have, all of the planets you have are like just I mean, they're built into that. And I'm not and I don't want to take away from your hard work because like you are a very hardworking person and I think people have this misconception that like, oh well if your chart's this way, then that must mean that you just don't work for anything and then you just got handed. No, that. like that's just is, not like, true. I've met a lot of people who have incredible talent, like uh I had a friend who could pass the AP calculus test without his calculator and like totally could have gotten a job with NASA. And oh. he doesn't work to back that up. He's not ambitious. He's really lazy and he doesn't like things that are hard. So I know people who have the gift, who have the talent, but they can't back it up with the work. And the truth is that talent is cheap. Mm -hmm. Everybody has it. Everybody has some, everybody has something that they were naturally gifted as it's cheap and the work is expensive. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. And I think that, you know, the one cool thing I would say about uh, reading your natal chart and like being able to mm. really get an understanding, even if you have no understanding of astrology, you could Google every one of your placements like Capricorn in the whatever house or like, you know, I don't know, Neptune in whatever, Libra in whatever, you know what I mean? Like whatever your placement is in this house, you can put that into Google and somebody somewhere has totally. written about it or made a video about it. And it will give you a better understanding of like who you are, or who you were at the time of your birth, like what you were innately born with, like both gifts and obstacles. And for, you know, I mean, not to, like, I don't know your friend or anything, but maybe, you know, his chart has something in it where there's this crazy obstacle. And if he knew what that obstacle was, he could get to work on right. actually it can, removing it or it could nurturing that strategy. It could inform his, his work process. It could inform yeah. his self-care. Like in the end, I think that's what astrology is good for. Like maybe it'll help you view yourself and others in a way that you haven't viewed yourself or others before. Maybe it'll spur you toward compassion inwardly and outwardly. Maybe it'll set something on its head and, and make you try something new. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's really what I would use it for. Um, you know, before we started recording, I said <laughs> that my boyfriend hates astrology and it's just like, he hates it. Like, he literally hates it. Like, I would tell him, like, oh, that's such a, like, this thing to do because you have this place. Mm -hmm. And he would get salty about it. 
And he doesn't like anything that, quote, takes away free will or says that something is predetermined. And I'm like, this is not predetermined, though. This is like, here's a snapshot of your birth. And, you know, here's what gifts you may or may not have been born with if you believe in it or don't, which, you know, take it as you will. But, like, I find that to be self-empowering and to be a great source of uh, instruction on, like, what I'm struggling with and, like, how to get over it. One of my favorite metaphors is to think about the country you were born in. So countries are completely made up. Mm-hmm. The The boundaries are based on political <laughs> decisions, old battles, superstitions. There's a mountain there. There's a river there, whatever. And the name of your country was also made up. In many cases, it wasn't even what the first people who lived there called it. And it doesn't describe anything about it. Like America is literally named after some Italian dude with a boat. But, <laughs> but the country that you're born in determines a lot of things about how your life will go. Even though it's made up, it doesn't matter. Like you have certain rights of citizenship. You have certain weather patterns you can look forward to. There are certain yearly rituals that your parents will hold that will be part of your earliest memory. So countries are as made up as astrology and they both can help determine what kind of person you turn out to be. Yeah, that's a really great, um, I don't even know what to call that. Really great, I guess, uh, what is it called? (laughs) Observation to make you know that like people don't think about you know and and it kind of it it sort of plays into magic just because this is the astrology witch podcast not just the astrology podcast but um it does kind of play into witchcraft you know there was a time when I was like first starting to you know delve into magic and be like do I believe in this thing am I gonna do witchcraft like is that something I really believe that is real and I really struggled with that because I have a lot of Capricorn placements and I'm an earth sign <laughs> and I intellectualize the shit out of everything. because I have a lot of air in my chart. And, you know, for me, I guess I got to the point where I was like, does it really matter if it's real or not? It's kind of like that Harry Potter quote. I don't know if you know it, where um, at the end of the book, uh, there's like, you know, Harry's having a conversation, you know, a pseudo conversation with dead Dumbledore. Oh God, sorry if you haven't read the books or watched the movies, but spoiler <laughs> but uh you know at the end of the book he says you know oh is is this real or is this all happening in my head and he says well what does it matter you know if it's happening in your in your head it still makes it real so yeah I don't know that Harry Potter quote always sticks with me about like whether things are real or not you know we right. always talk about like personal gnosis uh when it comes to magic and I, I think that it's like People are like, oh, well, how do I know if it's real? What if people think I'm crazy? It's like, who cares? There's a second quote that I love pairing with that one. So everybody knows Dumbledore says just because it's happening in your head doesn't mean that it's not real. Love that. Uh, But especially since J.K. Rowling has been so hard to take lately, I love thinking about the occultist Lanmaio Duquette, who's a bishop of the OTO. In one of his books, he says, of course, it is inside your head. Everything that's happening is happening inside your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. That's amazing. I love that one. He's such a good writer. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's so true, right? Like, if you stop to think about your own personal reality, mm-hmm. like, even not even just down to, like, your own perspective and your own biases or, or whatever, like, th- yes, those frame your personal perspective, your perception, your reality. But, totally. like, 
the fact that this desk is here, like, I don't know if I'm crazy, but like, sometimes I'm like, you know, these are just atoms pushed together. Like, is this shit here? Or is it just here? Because like, <laughs> I think that it's fucking here. Like, I drive myself crazy with that. And it's yeah, no, I mean, everything that you know, you know, courtesy of your senses, which run from your brain, which is a lumpy handful of gelatin that gets fucked up if you smoke weed, or eat too much salt. So <laughs> right? you don't know that you can trust anything you perceive. Yeah. That is a trippy thing to think about, too, you know? It's, it's called epistemology, and it'll fuck you up. Oh, my God. You're going to have to send me some literature on this later. I will. I will definitely read all about that. Sounds right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, often think about these things. I'm like, you know, like, what would life be like if, I don't know, you know how often, like, there's, there's, uh, I don't know if it's like scientists or, I mean, it must be scientists, but like people are talking about how, oh, well, our lifespan's not been that long. And, and we really only have like modern society, you know, notes on this of like when we've written things down. From. Right. Because we only started recording some things, you know, sometimes in some cases, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. So a lot of stuff right. we're still brand new at. Right. And so I I often think about like, you know, when man was, I don't know, first coming to whatever you know it, into being into what we are now like how how long could a person live for and like what was that down to was that down to like personal pollution like the fact that we discovered fire or whatever uh you know evading predators and and in that space like you know you I don't know if people know about like what Merkava or Merkavas are where they talk about how like ancient Egyptians had the ability to uh, communicate telepathically and shit like that, but I often... Yes, I have heard that, although I haven't seen much. I mean, the Egyptians wrote a lot of stuff down, you know? They're not that right. much of a mystery to us. I feel like if they had that, we would know. Right, well, it's like one of those, like, I don't, I don't know if it's like a conspiracy theory type right. thing. Right, maybe it was a deep secret. Maybe only the initiated had the power. Totally. Yeah, I don't think everyone could do it, but it was like this, I don't know, certain thing about ancient Egypt or some, I don't know. I watched some documentary about it and I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I'm gonna, like, There's a lot be... of stuff out there where the, the theories don't quite hold up, but it is fun to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I'm not saying that this has any like cemented evidence to it. And right. I, I don't know that you could find evidence for that, at least not in this era so far. Right, that would be hard to prove or disprove, but uh, or measure, right? Like, or measure exactly. Yeah, so you know, I mean, but just from that, you know, I often think like, oh well, are we closing ourselves? They say that like, you know, well, often people will be like, oh well, it's society and technology is taken so much from us relying on our our five senses or right. six it's senses. Our, you know, our it's destroyed our instincts. It's destroyed our dependence on our senses. Like all of that, sure. Right. And that actually can be confirmed, uh, not just by science, but like research studies when people study uh, social media. If you have, I don't know if you've seen it, but it, any listeners too, I've seen the social dilemma, which yeah. talks deeply about how social media ex uh, um, affects the psyche and how people are become like more malleable, more like delicate. Yeah. You know, so the from... problem is, is that social media excites parts of our brains that were evolved to do really important work but different work mm -hmm. so the, the issue is, is that spending time on social media makes you feel like you're being hunted by a predator or that you're you're hunting uh food yourself and the truth is you're not doing either of those things and you're just right. upset for no reason yeah yeah and like creating uh 
inadequacy, feelings of inadequacy where like sure. there were none before, right? Yeah, you're measuring social status where it doesn't actually have any bearing on whether or not, you know, your kids survived the winter. Right, like, you know, being, yeah, or even being thieves of, what is it, comparison being the thief of joy, the thief you know, of like, joy. yeah, that when, is accurate. Yeah, you know, not, not even worrying about what somebody else is doing, but all of a sudden you can see Janet's every fucking move. Right. And you're like, and damn, I want that life or she whatever. She seems super happy. She seems like she goes on vacation every six months. Like, totally. of course we covet that. Of course we do. Yeah, totally. But anyhow, so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about witchcraft and the occult if you want totally. to yeah okay cool um just because that does play into this podcast I so I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it yet Meg but um not that you care about astrology I know uh, <laughs> I keep telling Ashley like it's so funny so um for the listeners Ashley from Seeking Witchcraft is a good friend of mine too and um she hates astrology she's like it just seems like so dull like I'm so sorry and it's so ironic because she's the one who convinced me to start an astrology podcast in the first place yeah, there's no consensus among witches I know witches who are big time astrologers and I know witches who think it's 100 percent bullshit like we don't totally. have anything on that to share yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's totally fine. But I was like trying to bridge the gap to make astrology useful for witches. Sure. Because from a witchcraft con- um, uh, standpoint, it's really useful to know the planetary alignments and, you know, collectively and then know what your actual alignments are in your natal chart and harness those alignments when they actually happen. Especially that makes total in- sense. Yeah, like not even just for like a magical working. I mean, yeah, for a magical working, but also for like, let's say, I mean, you're an author. So like, let's say you're like trying to, I don't know, pitch a new book or something and you wanted right. like luck to be on your side. Right. You'd be like, okay, when is Jupiter going to go into the alignments that are in my chart and I have, activate I, the third house? I have low key done that. Like I haven't intensely done that, but I have been like, I'm not having this conversation with my agent until Mercury's out of retrograde. Totally. Or I, I'm not going to try to sell this book while the moon is waning. Like that is mm-hmm. just enough superstition and watching the sky for me. Yeah. I mean, those are like very basic ways I feel people can definitely do right now and they don't have to look into their chart. Totally. Just, yeah. Like, you know, generally in retrograde because everybody on Twitter freaks out about it at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, me too. I'm like, oh, God, save my files eight times. Yep. <laughs> yep, you never know how it's going to fuck you up. Yeah, Absolutely. But I mean, you know, generally speaking, you could harness any collective alignment that astrologers talk about. Like most people hear those collective uh, astrological, not predictions, forecasting or whatever, uh, where people are talking about, oh, like right now, Jupiter is in Aquarius. You know, a lot of planets right now are in Aquarius. And so if you had Jupiter in Aquarius, you don't, but but if you had it in Aquarius, a lot of people do, Um, younger people do in their like, I think mid to late. 20s i right, believe have jupiter and aquarius yeah that's mm-hmm. and that's and activating a place in your chart yeah, yeah totally and if it's activating a place in your chart like you could use that for something you could emphasize those or neutralize if they're you know gonna fucking expand some shit you don't want to work with right you know um, yeah it's more and, it may, for me it's been things to avoid like i don't really know what's fortuitous but i i definitely know what's bad luck and when's a bad time Right. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mercury retrograde anytime. Like, you know, I mean, Jupiter Aquarius is great for humanity overall, but it also rules quick chaos and quick change and sudden earthquakes and shit. So I mean, he's the God of thieves. He's not always telling you the truth. Yes, totally. Um, And, you know, and 
in in the fact that Jupiter is in Aquarius is expanding that. Right. But anyhow, okay, so what do you think, like, in terms of witchcraft, like, I don't know, what do you think the most valuable things have been for you? And I don't know, you could relay it back to your writing or like if you've used it in a career sense, since I know you're very career oriented, or just generally like in your life, because I think, you know, sharing practical things about witchcraft on this podcast is something I really enjoy because I feel like I'm a very practical person and I want things I can use and not just like, I don't know, pontificate about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I I prefer, I prefer praxis to theory. Like I, I like to get my hands dirty and start working on stuff immediately when I think I can try it. So I have, I mean, I've been a witch most of my life, so it, it informs all of my decisions and my, you know, my, rhetorical and my moral frame of mind yeah I have I have done workings to help me with things in my career mostly things that I know are beyond my control because there's a lot about my career that I can do like I'm in charge of getting work done on time of hitting my deadlines of making the work good and I'm confident about that and I don't worry about it because that's all within my grasp the parts that are beyond my control is usually where witchcraft comes in (laughs) (laughs) So uh, finding an agent is really difficult and it represents the major uh, gateway to all the things you want to do as a professional. So I did a little witchcraft about that. I did a little work to try to find an agent or to draw an agent to me. I've done work to sell a book. I actually had a friend when I was selling my most recent work uh, come by the house with a a candle from the Botanica. You know, those those specific purpose Botanica candles mm-hmm. that are like, yeah, I love those. <laughs> They're yeah, sometimes- those are great. They're very specific. When I was traveling in Mexico, I saw some that I had never seen before, like other lawyer be stupid. What? Or right. <laughs> or uh shut up bitch about a woman who's talking about you in your life. I mean, not necessarily a woman, I guess, but just somebody who's a bitch. Just a chismosa. Yeah, just, just to stop chismosa. That's it. So uh those were those have been really useful in my practice and and she brought one of those to me knowing that I was really struggling waiting for a book deal to land and I set it up and it was a high John the Conqueror which is a remover of obstacles and a a friend Mm -hmm. to people who are on the run I set it up and I burned it for three (laughs) days straight and at the end of that three days I got an email from my agent that said it was done that's amazing so it's mostly been small things it's been you know, the, the essence of witchcraft is to try to do your will in situations where your will alone is not enough. And I, I have applied that to my work fairly often. I've also just started to write occult horror. And it's something that I've loved my whole life. And the fact that I have a background in this that stretches 20 years, in addition to all the things that I've read and all the research that I've done, I think will make my work richer. Because there's a lot of stuff that's written in occult horror by people who don't know anything about it. Totally. That's so true. Especially when you get into like the occult and witchcraft community and then you actually go back and read all that shit you read as a kid and you're like, this is so ridiculous. Right? (laughs) So there's a lot of stuff that I think people get from heavy metal or from other scary movies where the occult is invoked Mm. or basically from rumors and urban legends. And the few times that I've read somebody whose background actually includes ceremonial magic or ritual work, you can really tell it's a lot richer and a lot more authentic. Yeah. So I'm very excited to bring my background into this work and to, the thing is, is that a naive reader, somebody who doesn't have a background in magic, just knows that what I've written is 
specific and unusual. And then for mm-hmm. the first people who, if you know, you know, spot what <laughs> I'm doing, they're going to be blown away and it's going to be so yes. great. Oh, I'm so excited to read this. Um, you know, I mean, the, the cool thing about, like you said, like you know, someone who's actually in the community who's written about, you know, the occult in any or in any of like a fictional sense, there are just yeah. certain Easter eggs and things there that are. people can appreciate. There totally are. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll be reading a, uh, a writer and I'll be like, uh, is she? And the thing is, <laughs> many people are not as open about it as I am. So I may never know, but I have my suspicions. Absolutely. We all think that Stevie Nicks and Lorena McKenna are for sure witches. But <laughs> I mean, they, they gotta be, out? right? They gotta be. <laughs> you don't also... write a song called freaking Rhiannon or like Sorceress and not know a little something about something. You know something. There's a really great Southern Gothic horror writer named Cherie Priest, uh, who is a fantastic writer specifically of like swamp witches. And I always want to ask her, like, mm, do you know a little something, something? <laughs> like, it's not just that she's Bayou South. There's something more there. But I'm very impressed with all of her horror. She's a spectacular writer. I have to look her up. I've never heard of her. Uh, the most recent book I think is called The Toll, and The Toll was really good and really scary, and uh, I would highly recommend it. Okay, The Toll. I'll look that toll, up. like a toll bridge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I love to read so much, and I would love to write a book one day, but honestly, I have no idea where to get started. If so... you have your idea, come talk to me, because I have so much advice. Oh my goodness, I do. I will. I will totally come to you. I have an idea, but I'm like, I have no idea what to do first or where to go. So therefore, I'm just not going to do this thing. It'll be a a dead document with all the other documents on my desktop. (laughs) We can definitely talk through that another time. Oh my God, I'm so excited. You will actually help me do this. Yeah, totally. And I will say, like, even if your chart doesn't indicate that you're supposed to be a highly creative person, even if you don't have witchcraft to back up your ideas, even if you're coming to this totally out of nowhere and you just want to you just want to write, anybody can do it. Anybody can find the clarity in thought to explain a narrative, to get their story out there. The most important thing, the thing that separates the suckers from the stars (laughs) is just sitting down and doing it. Really, yeah. the, pe- the people I know with the most success aren't even the most talented. They're just the most consistent. I can totally see that. And, you know, like, there's so many indicators in my chart that, like, I should be a writer. I should be in communications. I should be an actor. I should, like, I've done all those things, ironically. But I still feel like I have such a hard time sitting down and doing the thing. And it just oftentimes things will just stay up in my head. That's really like when people talk about the obstacles, I know that the obstacles are many, like getting a deal is really hard. Getting an agent is really hard and harder than all of that is writing a fucking book. Like that's really, that's the obstacle that keeps most people out. Totally. You know, I'm not afraid of the whole not having an agent, getting rejected. Like I probably should be afraid of those things, but no, I'm just like, (laughs) I'm terrified that I'm going to be on my deathbed and be like, I should have written that thing. I should have done like, that's what it keeps me up at night is like all the shit I haven't done that I'm like I should just fucking do the thing that's the thing most people come to regret the things that they didn't do like for the Mm. most part I mean if you do something terrible that hurts someone then yeah regret's a real monster but for the most part we regret the stuff we didn't even try yeah 
Totally. That's definitely the stuff that haunts me is like all the things that I'm like having a long list of, of the things I need to do before I die. And I'm like, I need to do this thing. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think that people can, when they get into astrology, they get really hung up or even witchcraft, they can get really hung up on like, oh, well, I've been like working on my shadow and I have this thing. They just like, or they get hung up on the rules of the thing and the things right. you can't do. And Right. Or they're and waiting like, for the, the perfect time. They're waiting for the stars to align and everything to be right for it. And that time never comes. No. There, there is never an optimal time. You just have to do the shit when you can do the shit. Totally. And you know, not even just that, but like, I mean, yeah, definitely with like, I guess astrology, it, that could be a thing, but also too, like uh, they're waiting for someone to like, give them permission or confirmation that like what they're doing is okay. And right. like nobody but you is going to give you that. It's and, like, true. You'll be waiting a very long time. <laughs> At some point you just have to declare, like one of the things I tell new writers all the time is they describe themselves as an aspiring writer. And I'm like, yeah. you write or you don't write. There is no fucking yeah. aspiring. If you're a writer, you're a writer. And there's no official stamp. There's no person with a clipboard who's going to come and tell you that you're a writer now. No one's going to give you a, a writer tiara and it becomes your title. You just have to be the one to decide. Like, this is who I am now. I'm going to go do that thing. Yeah. Writer's right. That's all it is. Totally. I think that's fantastic. Now I'm thinking maybe you should have a writing podcast. I feel like you would be really good at it. You're like, I don't have time. (laughs) It is a huge time investment. I have great respect for podcasters because it is no joke, a bear to manage. But I do offer writing advice on my Patreon for people who are looking for tips and pointers and stuff that I've learned from my time in the business. So, Oh my goodness. I'm going to link her Patreon in the description. Thank you. And and it's invaluable. A lot of people offer pretty much the same advice, like you have to write every day and you have to write what you know. And I try not to give advice that I've heard a million times. I try to be very specific about things that I've learned and how I learned them. So that is my tiny mark of uniqueness. Not just that, but I feel like too, uh, not that I'm like trying to promote Meg's Patreon, but I do feel that when you pay someone for something, for like a service, for something unique that they can only offer you for their expertise, their insight, somewhere they've already gone, like having that mentor, I mean, number one, you're paying for it and it gives you a sense of accountability that you wouldn't have if somebody was just giving you this free knowledge, like you would just not care about it as much. You know, advice that's free is often worth about that. And so uh, when someone is expert enough to charge you for their time or for charge you for their expertise, there's a reason. And sometimes yeah. it's that, that that person is a charlatan, but a lot of times <laughs> it's because they put in the time to learn it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Okay, um, I guess we can call it quits here. Is there anything yeah. else you want to mention? Anything about a new thing that you have coming out or that's already out that you want to talk about? Um, when is the show going to air? Um, shoot. If I've got to pick a time, not the next, like not next week. But the week but after? the following week. So that would be like early March. Okay, gotcha. I just wanted to make sure before I mention something that's already over. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, you I could just think- t- tell me. You could just tell me like <laughs> when the day is and I will publish the after that or no, it's, it's fine. It's I'm trying to get people to vote for me in this thing, but they'd have to read like a 10,000 word story. And like, it's a big ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to thank you for having me on your podcast because it's a fascinating subject that I frankly don't know enough about. And I, I wish that I understood more about how my natal chart works. So thank you for introducing me to some of those concepts. Yeah, of and, course. 
if anybody's interested in my work or my writing advice, that I would direct them to my website, which is MeggieListen.com, or follow me on Twitter, where I talk, frankly, way too much, uh, at MeggieListen. <laughs> <laughs> and that I look forward to more of your episodes in the future. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I should, I feel like it should have happened. Like you should have been my first guest speaker, but I hadn't thought of it. I'm one of those people that for some reason, I don't like want to burden people by asking them to do things with me. It's totally I'm... cool. No, I figured you wanted experts in astrology, so I didn't even think about it. So I'm, I'm very pleased to have been here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm so grateful. And you know, I, I honestly just want to chat with people. I think astrology is some one of those universal things. Everyone has a natal chart. Everyone has like some knowledge, even if it's just cosmopolitan horoscopes. Sure. And and I think it's interesting to just come on here and have chats and to break up the uh, not the monotony of like the basics that I'm doing right now, but to just have more chit chat, casual episodes in between the actual learning of the thing. You know, I think these are easy it. listening. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on. If you guys want to read Meg's books, which you should, they will be in the description. You should definitely support her on Patreon and follow her on all the things. She posts amazing fashion on Instagram and like it's just so like fun and like her cats and chocolate and like <laughs> I'm I'm always here for it. Like I just I don't look at everyone who I follow um their stories, but I always look at your stories. <laughs> All the Instagram hits. I got cats. I got food. I'm playing all the hits. Got all the things. So (laughs) definitely follow her there um, and read her books and everything if you're into fiction because honestly, they're I think they're very unique for what they are. Like there's so many books out now about like dystopian futures and like, you know, science fiction or or whatever. Like even social justice to a certain extent has become kind of like a trend. But Definitely. Like, I mean, literature comes in, you know, waves and we're going through another dystopian wave. So it happens. Yeah. And I mean, I'm here for it because I love that genre. But I also think sometimes authors can be like not so not to say they don't have a unique voice, but maybe they they all kind of tend to sound the same. And Meg is just like she's a unique voice, a pillar in uh, her genre. Like she stands out and like you will not regret it. OK, that's all I'm going to say because I love Meg. All right. If you want to follow me, (laughs) of course, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm at Astro W Podcast on Twitter. Astrology Witch Podcast has a page on Facebook and I'm on Instagram at Astrology Witch Podcast where you can check out dank memes on astrology. And hopefully, I don't know, I keep getting comments where people are like, finally, accurate memes. So I'm trying not to be super generic about it. So So hopefully you guys can have some fun with those and come chat with me. That'd be great. And I have a Patreon where I share like documents on witchcraft that you may find helpful about the moon phases and shit. And then I also have, um, I did a path working for one of the higher tiers. And if you're on like a really high tier, you can get like a natal chart reading with me and a tarot reading. And, you know, that would be cool. I don't have anyone there. That's expensive. So I'm like, yeah, I'm only (laughs) going to do this if like, because it's a lot of work. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I would love to have you there. If you feel inclined, then by all means, if not, no shade. Uh, But thanks so much for listening to this episode with me and Meg. And all the links will be in the description. Definitely go support her. She's amazing. And thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.